Hey friends, you know what I don't miss at all? That vicious week before the period. Feeling like I'm ready to crawl out of my skin, irritated by everything and everyone around me. Bouncing between cravings for salty foods and sweets and back again. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control from Happy Mammoth. Estro Control contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like the chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a menstruating person's life. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like myself again. That's what people mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Happy Mammoth products, including Estro Control. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CORP, C-O-R-P, at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code C-O-R-P for 15% off today. Yo, partnership alert, partnership alert, partnership alert. Living Corporate has a partnership with LinkedIn Learning an American massive open online course provider that provides video courses taught by industry experts across a wide array of subjects. Now, the partnership is because Living Corporate has courses on LinkedIn Learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. Hey, everybody. This is See It To Be It, the Wednesday podcast from Living Corporate. Living Corporate is a digital media network that centers and amplifies black and brown people at work. My name is Amy C. Wanninger, and I'm the host of See It To Be It. When I was growing up in rural southern Indiana, I didn't know people who went to college or who worked in professional roles. I didn't know what those jobs looked like or how to break into them. In most cases, I didn't even know those jobs existed. But this show isn't about me. It's about my guests. Every week, I bring you career stories from everyday role models in jobs you may not know exist. More importantly, the folks I interview share their perspectives as black and brown professionals in jobs and environments where they may be the only. My guest today is Camille Nisich. Camille is a startup uh, accelerator coach consultant. She is absolutely phenomenal. And I can't wait for you to hear from her. But before we get to the interview, we are going to tap in with Tristan for some career advice. What's going on, y'all? It's Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting, and I've teamed up with Living Corporate to bring you all a weekly career tip. This week, let's talk about three ways you can create value at work. So what exactly is value? Well, value is defined as the regard that something is held to deserve or the importance, worth, or usefulness of something. When I talk about value with my clients, it's usually in relation to conveying it in things like resumes, LinkedIn profiles, and even their annual review. 
But before you can convey value, you have to create it. So here's a few pointers to help you identify ways to provide more value at work. First, look for a process that happens often but is overly complicated. Companies are always looking for ways to improve their processes. When you streamline a process, you typically provide people with more time or the company with more money. If you can be the person to provide the solution, you can definitely use that as a selling point on your resume. Just be sure to track exactly what role you played in the project and the results the project produced for the company. The second way to create value is by becoming a subject matter expert in a specific thing. A subject matter expert is typically the go-to person for something. To become one, you really have to know the subject in and out, but once you are bestowed that title, you begin contributing at work not only through what you do, but also through the work of everyone else you help. The last suggestion is to identify solutions to shared problems. You know those times where you're on a team call and everyone is complaining about the same thing? Take that as an opportunity to identify a few solutions for whatever the issue is. Present those to your manager and offer to implement said solution. Opportunities to provide value in the workplace can sometimes be right under your nose. Just remember, whatever you do, track all of it so you can leverage it in your resumes, during interviews, and even when you're requesting a raise. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Living Corporate is brought to you by The Leadership Range, a podcast within the Living Corporate Network, hosted by globally certified and Fortune 500 executive coach and leadership development expert Neil Edwards. The Leadership Range is focused on having real, raw, soulful, and accountable conversations about inclusive leadership, allyship, professional development. Every week is a new episode with new learning and new actions to take on to grow inclusively. Make sure you check out The Leadership Range everywhere you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to See It To Be It. My guest today is Camille Nisich. Camille spent years at Dell Technologies delivering $100 million in cost savings and $1 billion in sales pipeline. And now she helps business leaders use big tech secrets to grow, scale, or exit in high value enterprises. And I always like to, if I know somebody or if I've met them before the show, I always like to say how we met. Um, and one of the things I want to talk to you about today, Camille, is is kind of this kind of being everywhere at once sort of thing. Um, but a lot of people don't know this, but uh, you and I are both um, content contributors to Arlen Hamilton's Arlen's Academy on Teachable. And that's how we found each other. And I want to thank you for reaching out to me and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Amy, for having me. I am so excited to be here. Such a pleasure. Okay, so take me back to the beginning. How'd you get into Dell? Dell's huge. Interesting story. And I think it, it's, it'll really resonate for your audience because it's really a story about mentorship and advocacy in the corporate space. So the person who recruited me, I ended up being recruited as an intern when I was getting my MBA. And the gentleman's name is Perry Coughlin. And he had been a longtime IBM employee. And one of the things that his mentor did was he was very thoughtful about recruiting at smaller universities. So back in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was this rush of people in MBA programs and like, you know, all this hiring boom for, you know, technology companies. And 
there were a lot of large universities that were kind of bubbling to the top, if you will, in terms of like where they were getting talent. And his mentor at IBM had said, no, you know what? There's talent at these smaller universities. Don't overlook them. One of the places that I always recruit is William and Mary. And so even when Perry moved over to Dell, he kept that philosophy himself. And so I um, went to grad school at the College of William and Mary's Mason School of Business relatively small in terms of size of program, but a, belt, a very well-regarded university. And that's how I got my internship and ultimately they're performing well, got offered a full-time position and went back there in 2000. That's fantastic. And I think a lot of people think that you have to go to, you know, these top name schools or, and a lot of, a lot of companies, honestly, they spend all their time recruiting it at the same schools. It, it's always fascinating to me when they say, well, we, we can't find, we can't find, um, you know, underrepresented talent. We don't know where to find people. And I'm like, stop recruiting from like the same three places in New Hampshire. Like it's yeah. really not that hard guys, but absolutely. Yep. So, so he wasn't just the person that hired you though. He mentored you, right? Yes. Absolutely. Once you got there. So yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. So he, so I ended up, you know, obviously being hired into his organization but he both was a manager and a leader. Actually, he wasn't my direct manager because he was an executive, but he actually mentored me. And it was, we met at a minimum once a month. And even after I stopped working for him, he was not just a mentor, but an advocate. So in rooms where I was not, when there was a conversation about talent, he was bringing up my name. I was nominated into their finance rotation program i know that that was because of him um so yeah he was definitely an advocate and i feel like you know when we talk about diversity i mean he was a white male is a white male still alive and just not at dell anymore um and so it was just something that he actively sought out and looked for good talent and said you know what i'm not just going to you know be your leader i'm also going to be your mentor and your advocate so really thankful for that so what was the job that you came into as an intern? Was it a technology role? Was it a sales role? Was it a business role? Talk to us about that. Actually a finance role. And uh, it was funny because my undergrad is in communications and I worked in that industry a variety of different ways right out of undergrad and realized that, you know, the communications world was just dog eat dog back then. Now there are, you know, there's, there's hundreds and thousands of podcasts, there's cable networks, there's you know, streaming media and all of that. But I was a broadcast communications manager major in the early 90s. And it was pretty much network, a little bit of cable or nothing. <laughs> and so I, you know, did a few different things in the industry and realized that, you know what, this is not going to really provide not only the lifestyle, but really the career trajectory that I'm looking at for. I just, I felt like I was getting pigeonholed in these roles where I wasn't really getting able to bring all of my skills. And so, you know, again, MBAs were, were becoming highly sought after. And I thought, I'm going to go back to grad school, but I'm not going to focus on communications or marketing, which everyone thinks would be the logical progression. And I actually focused in finance. And so, yeah, I went into the supply chain finance organization um, at Dell and spent, you know, the first half of relatively almost half of my career at Dell in the finance organization in a variety of different finance roles, everything from like supply chain finance, like I said, to esoteric areas of finance, like corporate treasury, which usually are not the kinds of teams that you get into if you haven't had a finance undergrad, but, you know, I was able to, you know, show my skills in that arena. So really enjoyed that opportunity, but it really started from having a leader who supported development and, and really kind of 
walk the talk. So, yeah. Now, I would think in a finance role in a company like Dell, you you were really well poised to see a lot of the company from that space. And I think a lot of folks don't realize, you know, I didn't realize this for years and years in my career and not that everybody's as dumb as I am, but you know, somebody out there is as dumb as I am probably. And doesn't realize like when you see where the numbers are, like that tells the story of the whole company. Yes. And there's really nowhere to hide in terms of what's working and what's not working in those financial statements. And, you know, all the way down to, you know, down to the spreadsheets and the balance statements and those sorts of things. And so you were able to see things really broadly in the company from this perspective of, of sort of the, the detail, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that really, that experience created the foundation of what I do now, because I, I focus a lot on profitability and cash management. And I mean, that's where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> I mean, you can you can create whatever kind of fiction you want on your income statement, but if your cash does not look good, you do not have a business for the long-term. And so, yeah, I would see, I did everything from like negotiating with suppliers in terms of like providing the financials that our actual supply chain commodity managers negotiated component costs for hardware. Um, I did, you know, cash management investing. So when I worked in treasury, it was, okay, how much cash will we have in the bank and how much can we put into an er overnight investment vehicle to get return? I mean, that that's what I mean, literally overnight, like millions of dollars would be invested just in overnight transactions so that we could get a little bit of return before we had to go pay our bills. So just really, um, you see a lot about the the success and the failures of a company by by being in a finance organization for sure. Yeah. And a lot of what you said, frankly, just went right over my head because this is not my world <laughs> at all. But I think that there's, yeah, there, there, there's like the ebbs and flows and the movement of money within a company. And it's not as simple as just, oh, we made sales and we collected revenue. I mean, there's so many more moves than that. And really that's one of the things that I feel like when I talk about, you know, sharing those big tech secrets is you're either going to learn the hard way by trying it all out, or you're going to hire someone who kind of knows and who has been on the path of where you want your company to be and can help you avoid those pitfalls. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really important thing. And, you know, there's, you know, like not every sale is a good sale. If it's going to be a negative from a profitability standpoint, don't make it. If you can't improve your margins, then you can't compete. I mean, there's just so many things that happen that, if you are in the finance organization or you understand the finance of the business, you can make different decisions. You can pull levers when other people can't, um, you know, you can make partnerships that would seemingly seem, um, you know, not wise. So for example, like one of the underbellies was we had competitors where we were their customers and they were our customers. Well, nobody tells you that unless you see it, you just don't know. Yeah. Right. And that's, I would imagine partially to diversify your supply chain. A little bit of that, a little bit of just sometimes you have some intellectual property that you need in your product that you just don't have. And so you've got to go figure out how to go get it. And sometimes that's from your competitors. That's, all of that is so fascinating. And you've taken all of this that you've done in a huge company like Dell, and now you distill it down to small companies, startup companies. Uh, who want to improve their valuation, who want to improve their operations. Tell us, what what do those companies look like that you work with now? Are they tech companies? Are they just a little bit of everything? You know, it just depends. So I think we talked about this when we had our side conversation, but it's 
you know, at some level, there's the piece of your business where you, you're at the high end of your value ladder, you're doing high end consulting and that sort of thing in advisory. And then sometimes you're just saying, hey, I need the rising tide to lift all the boats. And so I need to help companies that are not technology companies. They could be Main Street companies that literally are providing jobs in a local community and we want them to survive, or we want you to be able to have variety when you want to go out to eat on Saturday night. <laughs> um, so, you know, I do kind of my, my main kind of top tier sweet spot is technology, but I do have some partners where I coach, I actually coach um, Kevin O'Leary's Shark Tank um, accelerator kind of program that he does for his portfolio companies through a partner and there's a wide variety. I mean, there's jewelry companies, there's, um, you know, technology companies, there's uh, people who do language um, training, like high-level executive language training. I'm just thinking of the cohort I have right now. I had a whole group that I just wrapped up with. They graduated yesterday that were Salesforce small business consultants. So they do the, the entry-level Salesforce, salesforce.com services for small and medium businesses. And we spent six months, you know, kind of going through this curriculum. So it just depends on um, where I'm meeting them and what kind of company they are. I tend to, like I said, focus on technology, but I do have some, some broader customer sets. And I want to, I want to dig into that just a little bit, because in the conversation that we had before this one, um, we talked about a couple of things. And one of them was this, this idea that you can only do one thing and you have to be super hyper-focused. And we, we both kind of rolled our eyes when we talked about that. You're, I don't want to say you're all over the place because you're not, you're strategic in the way you're doing the, the way you're doing your work, but you really do just like your role in finance in, at Dell, right? You can see things from a, from a small perspective to get a really broad view. And can you talk about how that kind of, that kind of approach helps you? Because there are a lot of generalists out there that are being told, you have to niche down, you have to niche down, you can only do one thing, you can only serve one kind of client, you can only solve one kind of problem. Yeah, I think that one, they're just, they're just wrong. So, for example, if you think about, I'm trying to think of a good example of one, right now one's going to escape me. But if you think about kind of businesses that have, you know, accelerated like the Toyotas of the world or whatever, it's because you took a concept or they took a concept that was working in one industry in one vertical and they applied it to a new one. Well, if you keep yourself narrowly focused in one market and one vertical and one type of customer, you're never gonna have that breadth of knowledge. And so it's not to say that specialists aren't important, but I just feel like, you know, I've had, I mean, during the pandemic, I had a client that had a specialty um, lingerie and waxing studio. I had to help her convert from brick and mortar sales to online sales. I had to know about e-commerce. I had to know about just sales in general. Um, did I know anything about lingerie? No, <laughs> but there's just certain skills that apply. And it's like, hey, you've got inventory that needs to be sold. You've got to cut your costs so that you can protect your margins. You are going to potentially get access to some cash flow from a government program, but you need to know what to do today because that money's not coming till tomorrow. And so, so all of that applies regardless of the type of company you're running, right? So, yeah. Yes. And I just, I read a book recently called Range and it's all about that. It's how you, you real innovation happens when you cross-pollinate ideas across industries, when you apply ideas in new ways, or when you find new uses for old ideas. And, and I see you doing that. And I see people out here doing this. And I think that 
that doesn't get enough press, right? Because there's so much focus on, on this niching down and, and, you know, being so specific and so specialized. And so I, I love success stories of people who don't follow that advice and say, nope, I want to take a broad view. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's like, if you don't, if you have that feeling of this just does not sit with me. And every time someone would say, well, you know, what's your niche? And I would just get this icky feeling like, "Mm, I don't want to answer that question. Like, yes, I love technology just because I'm straight up a technology geek. I love software. I love to test software. I love to, you know, beta test websites and, you know, QA websites and just all sorts of geeky stuff because I want to know what that user experience is like. But yeah, at the end of the day, I'm also just saying, you know what? I need more businesses to be successful. One, because it helps the individuals who run them. It creates jobs. It creates, you know, all the different flavors of lifestyles that, you know, you can just pick one that you want and then go make it happen. Um, But, you know, just economically, we all benefit, right? If I have more choices for whatever solution I want, that's a good thing. And so I just want more, you know, small and medium businesses to be successful. I want those those founders to create the lifestyle they want. And I want to be able to buy their products. (laughs) So, you know. (laughs) Exactly. And and success in business, I think, again, going to kind of some of the... um, you know, not popular culture, but kind of popular folklore, right? Like what's, what people focus on now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You can only get to success one way, which is narrow. And you can only be successful one way, which is get a huge influx of capital and sell your company and, and be done, right? Millions of dollar exits, billions of dollar exits, right? And you and I have talked about in the past that that's not the only way to be successful, mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that and why people maybe should rethink um, this notion that you need to have investors and you need to get out of your business? Yeah, I, so a couple of things. One of the things, you know, sometimes you're kind of always putting the pieces together and you're thinking, well, some ways I figure out how do I, how do I talk about what I do? And then sometimes you run into something that kind of smacks you in the face and say, oh yeah, that's what I was thinking all the time. And they just said it better. And so you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was just looking around and I saw all of these, you know, a lot of business owners who were afraid, who just had lost hope. And I just thought, you know, how can you really create the hope as a business owner that like literally create your own hope, right? Yes, cash, absolutely. And capital is going to help you. But part of it is, you know, the way that you do what you do and how you make decisions and what have you. And I ran into this Tony Robbins quote, and I'm not even a person who really follows him, but he said the greatest chokehold on any business is either the business owner's skills or psychology. And I thought that is it right there. I need to help them with the psychology so that they understand confidently how to make good decisions just from a, like, I can be confident in my decision and I can have the right personal habits that make me, um, you know, high performance. But then also I need you to have like financial skills, business savvy, business acumen, so that you know how to negotiate, how to price, how to, you know, manage your cash, all of those things. And that's really what I focus on. It's just like, how do we, how do we make sure that you are at the right place in both of those areas? And then from there, I always say, you know, what is your end game? Do you want a legacy business that you can pass on to your kids and their kids and the kids after them? Or do you want the big exit? Once we figure that out, then we know what path for you to be on. But the vast majority of business owners and entrepreneurs, they don't want that huge exit. And oh, by the way, they got out of a job 
because they wanted to be their own boss. And do you want to basically buy yourself a new boss? <laughs> I mean, that's effectively buying yourself a new boss if you're chasing those headlines and chasing those um, you know, like investments from venture capitalists and whatever. Now, it's not to say that in certain instances that doesn't make sense. And yes, that sometimes that level of innovation and that level of scale without the underlying profitability, you know, raises the, the technology um, for all of us. And so, yeah, there is a place for those companies. But if that's not your end game and you don't want to go in eyes open and say, yep, I want a board that can fire me. I want investors that can tell me what to do and tell me how to grow and what my product should look like and all of those other things, then that's not the path that you should be on. And you should really figure out how can I be profitable and grow in a way and at a rate that makes my business successful from how I want to define it. Yes. And, you know, for some people, I mean, I met a woman who said, look, my goal is that when I'm ready to retire, I have about a one-year runway where I just start offloading my clients. And at the end of it, and probably most of the people listening to this won't know what I'm talking about, but she said at the end of it, it's like the Mary Tyler Moore show where you just shut the, turn off the lights and lock the door and you leave. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a way to do it too. Um, and you know, you mentioned like passing something on to your kids. You're not always, it's not always an opportunity from your kid's perspective, right? They don't necessarily want to run the corner drugstore or the consulting firm or the manufacturing facility. Yep. And those are real conversations you need to be having before you decide that's the legacy you want to leave them. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's, you know, you want to give them the legacy of the knowledge, but, but they can apply it to some other business you know, if that's their path. So yeah. it's, it's, or maybe they just take the check and <laughs> invest <too>. it. <laughs> right. And, yeah, then and let their money work for them. <laughs> yeah. Let the money do the work. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Oh gosh. So Camille, you know, for people who, you know, are looking to break into, um, you know, that corporate job, right. Like the one that you had where, you know, you kind of get this sense of where are all the levers in the company and what's going on. What's, what advice do you give young people who are starting out, who are thinking about what to major in or, you know, what kind of internships to pursue or what kind of jobs to pursue? What would you tell them to look for? I would say at a, at a high level, figure out how you want, how you work best. Are you a, I need a ton of structure. Is it that I like to have kind of free thought time and then really kind of make your wish list of the, of the brands that align with that and the companies that align with that. Um, that's thing number one. But then the second thing I would quickly say is you're going to be testing because no matter what you think is the case of that company on the outside from an outsider's perspective, you may be surprised when you get inside. And so just know that in some ways you want to give yourself a time horizon to say, okay, if it doesn't turn out the way I want it to in, in two, 18 months, two years, then this is not the place for me. Be okay with that because that is when you'll be the most happy and the most productive and be able to chart the path that you want to be on. And for folks who are in their business or who are thinking about starting a business, um, you know, you mentioned a lot of skills and a lot of psychologies that you want people to have um, to be successful you know, can you give, give us just a couple of, of insights as to where people can start um, in, those, in those realms? Yeah, I would say from the psychology side, make sure you have your quiet time. 
It doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be a specific flavor, figure out what works for you. It could be prayer time, it could be meditation, it could be, you know, whatever. There's a million different things. Breathing exercise, one of the things I teach is breathing exercise. Um, but have your quiet time because I always say that the answers come in the silence. We have so much input. We have more input now than we ever have. And that's all messages that are coming from different people in different entities. And the only way that you can dial up the volume on you is to have quiet time. You cannot get your volume loud enough if you are consuming you know, media from other places, if you will. It doesn't have to be a computer or a phone or whatever, but you get the point. There's just a lot of input coming. And so you need to have your quiet times so that you can turn up your own volume and tune in and really figure out what are the answers that are right for you? Like, how do you know when, you know, like, again, you're listening to your gut. Yeah, the reason why you get gut tightness when you have a big decision is because your body's trying to tell you something pay attention. Um, and so really, you can't really get in tune to that unless you have your quiet time. Um, and then beyond that, it's really thinking about, um, you know, kind of what are those core, you know, fundamentals of business that largely don't change? Yes, there will be different applications and different tactics and different strategies, but there's certain principles that don't change. It's like, okay, if I want to grow a business, I've got to figure out, well, how I'm going to get leads how I'm going to convert those leads to sales, um, how to look at the data to say, oh, this, this strategy is not working in terms of converting leads to sales. And then once I convert some sales, well, do I, do I want a strategy where I just constantly am putting more, more customers at the top or am I trying to look at repeat revenue? Repeat revenue is always going to be the one that drives it, a higher value company. And then it's, well, then how do I turn those repeat buyers into advocates that can help me drive down my cost to get new people just like them? And that's, you know. Yeah. And I hope people are taking notes because that's the exact process, right? That business owners need to follow or that people who are thinking about starting a business need to follow. And it's, you know, it really is. It's, it's that difficult, right? But it's also that simple. Yeah. And, and really, when you look at the information, you say, okay, well, where are things going wrong? Like, oh, I'm making sales, you know, but I'm not retaining those people. I mean, that's what ends up happening with so many of these startups where it's like you read the headlines and oh, they got this huge influx of cash. And then, you know, for whatever reason in two years, they didn't make it. Well, it broke down. You know, they had enough money to say, all right, I can put my message in all of these different channels, but for whatever reason, they weren't able to convert those messages into customers. Okay, well, that's where things broke down. They didn't get a chance to get to the rest of it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And then I wanted to switch gears just a little bit and talk about your course on Arlen's Academy. Um, and just tell us a little bit about that and, um, we'll put a link in the show notes to how people can find it, but your course is called why Cash Flow is queen. And can you tell us a little bit about what folks can learn from that course? Yeah. So that is just one of my, just one of the things that I think is so foundational that business owners and, and really even employees understand. It's like, there's this concept of what I call the cash flow pyramid. And so if you think about the base of a pyramid, it's the widest piece, right? And that's going to be your sources of cash, right? Like you need to have as many sources as you can have profitably. You don't want to have channels that don't work for you. But at the end of the day, you want to have revenue streams and products, et cetera, that bring in cash from a, a variety of different ways. You step up the pyramid and the middle tier is uses. Well, how do I put, you know, uh, money into motion, right? Because money sitting still doesn't do anything for you. 
has to be moving. That's why cash flow is queen. So people say, oh, cash is king, but cash flow is queen. Yeah, it's got to be moving. So I've got to deploy those uses strategically to say, you know, who's the right talent that's going to help me grow my business? Um, you know, what are the tools that I need for our, our employees to do their job or to put my, you know, solution into the marketplace and what have you. Um, and then at the top, the, you know, like um, if you've ever heard the, um, gosh, I'm going to draw a blank. W. Clement Stone says little hinges swing big doors. At the top, it's the most narrow part of the, the pyramid, it's, but it's the levers. It's like, what are those large, those little hinges that swing the big doors? What are my tools at my disposal to either manipulate the sources or get better and more efficient with the uses so that I get the outcome I want? And then on the outer edge of the pyramid, it's you, you need to keep the appropriate balance between liquidity, profitability, and growth. And that is something that I learned at Dell. It was a huge, huge thing that we um, focused on internally is the right balance among all three of those things. Because if you get too heavy on two or one of those things, you have a problem. Um, and so really that's what the course does is it gives you an overview of how to go think about those, those uh, concepts in your business and also the questions to ask yourself. So I take you through how to do a quick and dirty cash flow analysis. And then also I give you a ton of questions that you can go look into your particular business and see, is it a sources issue that I have? Is it a uses issue that I have? Is it a levers issue that I have? So, yeah. It's brilliant. And I need to go take that course. I'm going to put that on my to-do list because I'm a student in the academy and I, it's, we just, all. it's sitting there. It's sitting there. Oh, there's some good stuff. There's some good stuff in there. Oh, there truly is. I mean, just amazing content. And, you know, she's really cultivated um, this, you know, this kind of collection of experts in all these different areas to help people kind of figure out their way in this world of, of entrepreneurship. And, you know, even for some corporate roles, there's, there's yeah. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Absolutely. In there. There's some, there's some definitely some good corporate stuff in there as well. So Camille, you've created a lot of community for entrepreneurs, for, for small business owners, scaling business owners, um, just in the work that you do and the cohorts that you facilitate, where do you go for community? Oh, that's so I'm on, I'm constantly on the hunt for that. <laughs> It's funny because I actually was at a session earlier today and I always like to just, I like to dot into different communities and see how they are. And one of my mentors, his name's Ray Higdon. He talks about this idea of being adaptable. So again, back to what I was saying about business models where they took something that was successful in one industry and moved it to another. I can, I can dot into communities and learn things that may seem completely misaligned with what I do because I can adapt and apply them in other ways. And so one of the um, communities that I'm in, I'm just dabbling in this, this Discord community with a gentleman whose name is Gary Henderson. And he's kind of the marketing strategist behind a lot of brands, everything from like Gabby Bernstein to um, Lewis Howes and some, some heavy hitters, right? And he's got this community where he's got a creator crypto coin. He's got a community on Discord, which was a community platform that was largely started by, you know, supporting the gaming community. And you would think, why would someone who has their own business or who's working with, you know, large, medium, large, small companies, even, you know, um, you know, corporate entities, why would you hang out on Discord, which is, you know, largely a gamer platform? Well, it's not anymore, but there's some really unique things that he's doing. And so for people who, I don't know about you, but like those of us that have been on, you know, Facebook for more than 10 years, 
you're kind of getting a little burnt out with Facebook and you're thinking, you know, I don't, you know, I'm always playing with the algorithm and what have you. But what I love about this Discord community is I can really build good relationships with the people there. I never miss any posts. I, whenever I go back to the community, I can see the full history. I can create one-on-one -on -one conversations. I can have dialogue. It's searchable. It's just a nice way for me to get to know people that he has attracted that are all, you know, trying to build their communities and their brands. And they're, you know, it's global. And so I've, that's a community that I've been in the last, I would say, probably four months or so. And I'm absolutely loving it. Um, there's other communities where I've dabbled in some things. I tried out Circle. I tried out a community on Telegram. I didn't love it. So I'm just, I'm constantly a tester of both where are communities that I can play in. I will see if they serve me. I'm a very fast decision maker. I've honed my decision making skills over decades. And so I can very quickly determine whether a community is going to be worth my time. And, and it's not just that I'm, I'm taking, it's also, is it worth my time to give? Because if people aren't, appreciating what I'm giving, then that's also a reason for me not to stay. And so, yeah, I tend to use technology-based communities. I used to run an in-person networking group. I found that the behaviors of, of, of some, <laughs> some of those people were just not what I wanted to, you know, continue to spend time with. So I closed it down. I, I started a, a meetup group, grew it huge in a very short amount of time. And then I shut it down like inside of a year because just people were not, you know, adopting the behaviors that I wanted to see. So yeah, I, I'm constantly seeking out new communities and I will I will decide based on whether I think it's the right people, whether I think I can learn and whether I think I can actually provide some value. So yeah. That's fantastic. And I, I have to say that any community uh, that gets you needs to work to keep you because you have such great insights, you have such a wealth of information and so much to offer. And you know, I I hope that that they see all of that value in you right away and they do everything they can to keep you there because, you know, there's just, there's so much uh, that you have to give. I so appreciate that. And I think that's a message even for, for your listeners, because, you know, oftentimes we always have that, that bit of pause on, you know, am I valuable enough? Do they see the value in me? And yeah, if you are in a community that doesn't value, you know, go to the next. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, communities I'm super excited about. Um, you know, there's one called Zebras Unite. I don't know if you've heard of them, but it's just this concept. They have this really great manifesto that's on Medium. I definitely recommend that you check it out. But they basically said, you know, there's all these, you know, investors and, you know, consumers and everything that are chasing the net and chasing the next unicorn. But really unicorns are mystical beings. And really what's real are zebras. And those are the companies that, you know, are profitable and they are trying to do good for a community. And it's not just about the exit for the founders, but it's also that collective raising of, you know, consciousness and the lives of, of a group of people in a community of people. And so I'm one of the founding members of Zebras Unite as, as the actual, um, they have two, they have multiple tiers. They have the original founders and then they have what they call founding um, co-op members. It's a co-op, which is also an interesting thing. I don't know if you've ever explored co-ops, but it's fascinating. Um, and so I'm super excited to not only contribute to that community, but also to be, you know, an actual owner and, and member. I will have to check that out. We will put the link in the show notes. Camille, thank you so much for taking more of your time to speak with me, to teach me, um, and to share with our listeners all the amazing things that you're doing um, in entrepreneurial spheres. I, I'm just knocked out and excited to have you. 
Oh, it was absolutely my pleasure. It was wonderful to talk to you again. I look forward to our next conversation and I look forward to, you know, hearing from your listeners. If they want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, happy to chat with them, provide any resources that I can provide any connections I can. Thank you so much. Living Corporate is brought to you by The Break Room. Have you ever felt burnt out, depressed, or otherwise exhausted by being one of the onlys at work? You know what I'm talking about. Hosted by black psychologists, psychiatrists, and PhDs, The Break Room is a live weekly web show in the Living Corporate Network that discusses mental health, wellness, and healing for black folks at work. Name another weekly show explicitly focused on mental health, wellness, and healing for black folks at work. I'll wait. This is why you got to check out The Break Room, airing every Thursday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on livingcorporate.tv. Was it Camille fun? Okay, all the time I tell you, what do I love about the interview? What do I love about the interview? And what I love the most about this interview, I'm sorry, was the conversation we had after the interview <laughs> about, um, you know, all through the interview, I kept getting interrupted with a dog and kids and stuff and, and school just started here. And, you know, Camille and I were kind of commiserating about, you know, what it's like to work and have kids in school or kids at home that are too young to go to school and, you know, trying to balance, you know, career. So we actually joked that we should have recorded that part of the conversation and made it a second episode. Um, what I love about the interview that you heard, though, is how she has taken this view, this very broad view of what makes businesses successful at scale. And she brings that down to a level of simplicity for um for business owners who are starting small and want to scale or who are starting small and want to create a lifestyle that they really want to, you know, that they want to enjoy. And um, if you loved this interview as much as I did, um, you may want to check out a couple of books. Uh, one is called Range and there's another one called Company of One. And there's some books I read recently about how to think about your business and how to think about your place in the world. Um, a little bit differently. I would also recommend if you have a scalable business um, to read a book called Traction and it's all about the entrepreneurial operating system, how to make your um, how to make your business you know kind of run run better, um, you know run more smoothly and you know how to have internal measures of success so you know if you're on the right track. Um, also highly recommend taking Camille's course. Um, at Arlen's Academy, we will have the link for you in the show notes. Um, she is truly brilliant and it's amazing that, uh, Arlen Hamilton has, has given access, um, to people like Camille, uh, on her platform for such a reasonable rate. So if you enjoyed this episode, check out those resources. Don't forget to subscribe to Living Corporate and share us with your friends and colleagues. And you can really help us out by leaving us a six-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Now, maybe you're thinking, Amy, there are only five stars. All right, give us all those, but then go the next step by leaving a couple of sentences in your own words, telling us what you liked about the show. Don't forget to visit living-corporate.com to learn more about our other podcast videos, web shows, and more. See It to Be It is brought to you in part by Lead at Any Level, a certified woman and LGBTQ-owned business dedicated to helping organizations win the competition for talent and customers for the long term. Lead at any level. Leaders can be anywhere and should be everywhere. 
Learn more at leadatanylevel.com. That's it for this episode of See It to Be It. This is Amy C. Wanninger, and I'll see you next week. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.